Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. We are in the series called Eight Hills where we're talking about our values. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me on a few occasions. So for context, Christy and I, we've been married for 36 years. And, um, and so every once in a while, we decide to go out to a restaurant. And, uh, and when I say that, what I mean by that, I mean, we do go out like to taco. You know, for us, going out to eat means uh, Taco John's or, pan, you know, Puncheros or something like that, you know? It's never really expensive or anything like that. But, what, but then every once in a while, Chris will say, let's go to a sit-down restaurant, meaning let's go somewhere where the, you sit down and they bring you a menu, right? Now, we don't do that very often, but when we do. And so we'll go to, you know, a sit-down restaurant, you know, and they'll bring you a menu and you start, you know, looking through it. And I, and I always, anytime we decide that we're going to do that, in my head, I'm running, okay, what am I going to get? What am I going to I'm going to either Texas Roadhouse or... Olive Garden or something like that, you know? <clears throat> and so I'm processing what I'm gonna get. So I look at the menu and then I say to Christy, she's sitting across the table from me, I say, I'll say to her, I said, I think I'm gonna get the chicken parmesan. What are you gonna get? And she's like, oh, I don't know, I'm not feeling very hungry. I'll just eat some of yours. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not the question I asked you. I didn't ask you if you wanted to have some of mine. I said, what are you gonna get? What are you, you gonna get, right? Now, honestly, I've been married 36 years, so I actually don't say that because I've been married 36 years. I just think it. Like, I didn't ask you that question, you know, so I just kind of process. But I do, you know, when you've been married 36 years, you know each other, right? You know body language. And she recognizes when I have a certain body language, like, don't touch my food. <laughs> she's, then she'll say, like, hey, I'll just get a salad or something like that. And she ends up getting her salad, Right. And I don't know what it is about that, you know, this, uh, this idea that, that when I order this food, I, it, it's like it's mine. This is mine. I want, I'm ordering the right portion, the right sides that go with this portion. I'm ordering all of that because I want to eat that. And... You know, if, I, if, if I'm like full and I have some left, I might say, here, you can have some. But I'm not in, on the front end saying, what am I going to order so that my wife can eat part of it? I'm not thinking that way, right? <clears throat> and so what is it in us that has that kind of, kind of way of thinking, this kind of possession type of thinking? Today, we're going to be talking about our seventh value, which is Generosity. And so as you can see, we're going to be challenging ourselves a little bit today. This is how our value goes. Generosity is at the heart of God. And when we give generously, we reflect his heart. So we're making a statement right off the front, off the bat, saying generosity is, is central. It's core to God's being. And when we, his children, are generous, we are reflecting the very heart of God. Generosity frees our heart from greed. We won't talk about greed today, but I've preached about that in the past. Generosity frees our heart from greed and makes us partners with God in changing the world. We can never outgive God. This is a factual statement. You can never outgive God. Now, this is, and I say this because it seemed a little bit crazy, but there's like this kind of competition that we put up put inside of our head, like. 
well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give and give and, you know, God should be happy with me. It's kind of this mindset that we put ourselves in because it's, we think it's ours, right? But there's never a moment that we give and then God says, wow, that was so much, I, I can't even afford that. Sorry. You can never outgive God. Therefore, right? In other words, the idea is the source is unlimited. Therefore, we choose to give generously. It's a choice that we make, and it is a choice, right? Now, I get it. Today, we're talking about generosity. We're talking about giving. We're talking about money, and there's not a subject out there that can be more capable of disengaging people from listening to a preacher preach than giving. <laughs> a few years ago, I, I, you know, I, I speak on giving on a, on a regular basis, but a few years ago, somebody came up to me, a couple came up to me, and the lady, she walks up to me, and she goes, Pastor Rich, good sermon. And she goes, you know what? As soon as you said you were going to be talking about giving, my husband pulled out his phone, and he played Fruit Ninja the entire sermon. <laughs> like... Like, I don't know what the points are, you know, that he got, you know, in his, in his scoring, you know, but it was anything. It was like anything to avoid listening on the topic of giving because, you know, we, we're just that way. It's mine, kind of like me and my meal. I don't want to share what I have. It's mine. But here's what you need to know. Generosity is the heart of God. Generosity is the heart of God. Throughout scripture, there's story after story that you read of God's heart towards his people, and it's always, always, always a generous heart. We lose sight of that because we are broken humanity. We tend to lose sight of the fact that we are recipients of his generosity. Sometimes in our brokenness, sometimes in our struggle, we think that maybe God has even forgotten us. So I want, us to, I want us to do a little exercise here this morning. Um, please don't leave me hanging. You got to help. We are all participating in this. This is a, a, an all-people participation kind of exercise, okay? What I'm going to ask you to do, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to do anything kind of crazy. But what I'm going to ask you to do is this. And I want us to do it very dramatically. I'm going to ask you to take a big, deep breath in and then dramatically exhale so we all can hear the exhale, okay? It's just like a dramatic, take a big deep breath of air. Ready? I'm gonna count to three, and then we all do it together. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, that was good. Let's go. Let's keep going. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, see, see, you know what you just experienced? You don't realize until we point it out, but what you just experienced is that just in in that action of taking in that deep breath of air, you inhaled 12.5 sextillion molecules, oxygen molecules, that then get diffused into your blood system, feed your brain, feed your body, and that is God's generosity to you. That's God giving you the ability to actually be alive right now, is that you're breathing. And so I'm talking about giving and I might be talking about money and stewardship and you might be sitting there squirming in your seat saying, man, I'm, I don't want to hear another sermon on giving and, or maybe you've had a bad experience where somebody manipulated you or you felt taken advantage of in a church context about this whole money thing and you're squirming and all that. You're like, I don't want to hear. You have your argument that you're building up against the sermon maybe already. 
But while you're doing all of that, God is generously giving you breath. So go ahead and breathe. You need, you need breath. Start breathing. I don't want you to pass out on me here. Listen, if you want to know what God looks like, think generous. He's extremely generous to you and I, to all of his humanity. In Matthew 22, there's this um, interesting passage talking about how God looks, what God looks like. There's this interesting passage where Jesus is confronted by like this uh, religious political kind of coalition that come together. And they've come together basically with the idea that they want to trap Jesus in his words. They want to figure out a way that they can get him to say the wrong thing or agree to the wrong thing. Therefore, they can then convict him like in a court of law and basically get rid of him. They're very jealous of him. They're they're jealous of his popularity. They're, they're upset that peop, the, the populace is following him and not them. And so in verse 15, it says this, then the Pharisees, this is a conservative religious group. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him. Talk about Jesus. To trap him in his words. <clears throat> they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now there's another group of people. So you have the Pharisees and the Herodians. These are like two opposite people. The Herodians were a political group. They were a group of people that um, were supportive of the puppet government over Israel that the, it, you know, the Roman Empire had imposed. And they always followed the, you know, the Roman Empire you know, party line. And so you read this and you're like, I don't really know what's going on here. Basically think ultra-conservative person, ultra-liberal person. And they've decided to come together and trap Jesus. Okay, just, they don't really go together. They don't agree on anything. They, you know, they're just totally, they just, but they have this one single goal is that they want to figure out how to trap Jesus. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity. So now those Pharisees' disciples are kind of kissing up to Jesus a little bit. And that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. In other words, Jesus, you don't play favorites. You know, you don't, you know, you don't care about their titles and their, their achievements and all that. You, you care that they've done that, but you know, that doesn't give them more status in your mind than others, right? Tell us then, what, in, what is your opinion? Is it right, okay, here's a question to Jesus. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Is it right to pay the imperial tax of Caesar or not? Now, keep in mind that the Pharisees who are asking the question right now, they, they vehemently want to not pay. The, they have to, but they detest the idea of paying taxes to Caesar. The Herodians, they follow the party line, they pay the taxes. Okay. So Jesus is now confronted with this question. They want to trap him. And so here's what they've done. Here's the setup. The setup is this. If Jesus says yes pay the taxes to Caesar, then the Pharisees will go back and say, yeah, he's, he's not a man of God. He's caving into politics. He's caving into all that stuff. He, he's, he's, he, nobody should listen to him. If he says, no, don't pay the taxes to Caesar, then he gets branded as, you know, for, for high treason. And now the Herodians go back and say, there's this guy out there preaching that we should not pay taxes to Caesar, which basically would deserve death. But Jesus gets all this, and I want you to notice how Jesus turns the tables around a little bit. Something really cool happens. Verse 18 says, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you know, you hypocrites, 
Why are you trying to trap me? Like, I know exactly what you're doing here. Show me the coin for paying the tax. The, the pay, for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. I'm going to pull out of my pocket here a little quarter. I had four quarters. And notice that one's missing. So I have three, two more in my pocket. So somebody took my, quarter, my last quarter. Four quarters for safe measure. But I have a little quarter here. This is a, it's got George Washington's image on it. So Jesus says, show me the denarius. And so they pull out this denarius, and, they, and he asks the question, whose image, whose image is on, that, on, this, on this coin? What inscription is there, he says. Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, and so notice, this is how he turns the tables around, this is what he says. So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, <laughs> they were amazed, which is puzzling to me. And so they left him and went away. Like I read this, and you probably have read this before in the Bible, and you're like, what just happened there? Did Jesus do like this Jedi mind trick? <laughs> now you leave. You know, I don't know what he did. Because he, 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 they ask him this question, and he gives them a riddle and he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they're like, these lawyers, are, their minds are blown. They can't believe it. And they says, they just leave. Here's what I think is happening here. The word that is used in the Greek, this Greek, this Greek New Testament, the word that's used for the image there in this, in this passage is the word akon. It's, um, it's where we get the English word icon. And so, you know, you can think of like icon, like, you know, I don't know, uh, some some mega rock star or whatever. Uh, who's the guy that's dating the, the football player nowadays? Taylor Swift. Thank you. Okay. I just want to make sure you guys were on, in, you know, in the know of things because, you, you know, that's happening. It's funny that nobody really knew Travis Kelsey until Taylor Swift came around. But anyways, um, so, uh, so, you know, Taylor Swift would be an icon, Right. Or in this context, they're talking about, you know, the uh, gods, for example. They had many, many different gods that they worshipped. And they would make these little statues of these gods, and it would be an akon. That's the word that they would use for it. Uh, you'd walk into somebody's home, and you see these little akons on their shelf, different gods that they worshipped. Also, it would be something represented, they considered Caesar, Caesar to be God. And so his image on a coin, the denarius, was an akon. What's interesting about that Greek word akon is it's the same word that was used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I know that you're saying, wait a minute, no, that's Hebrew. There's a, Hebrew trans, there's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, okay, called the Septuagint. It's deciphered by LXX, meaning 70, 70 elders that put it together. The Septuagint <clears throat> quotes Genesis 1, 27 and says, let us, make, let us make man in our own Image and it uses the word akon. That word gets transliterated into Aramaic, and that's exactly the same word that Jesus is using here in this passage. Whose image is on this? Caesar's. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. Here's what I think is happening. I think Jesus pulls us out and he says, Whose image is this? Or like Caesar. He's like, Okay, that's Caesar's. Just there you go. There's my there's a quarter just for you. <laughs> Give that to Caesar. Because that's really all that he could put his image on. 
That's all he can do. That's all he could possibly do is find some coin and stamp his image in. But then he looks at the audience and he says, but you, you out there, you have the image of God stamped in you and give unto God what is God's. In other words, this is what Jesus is communicating in this little passage. He wants every bit of you, not a part of you, not a portion of you. You belong to him. He wants all of you. And listen, since we are made in the image of God, then the capacity to be generous is in us because we are in his image. It's part of our DNA. And so when we fool ourselves, we think, tell ourselves, no, I can't, I'm not, it's not possible for me. No, that's not true. You have been made in the image of God. So what does God look like? Think generous. And if you and I are made in his image, then the best way that you and I reflect God to this world is through generosity. Learning how to be generous. Another thing about generosity is it's not always about what I have. It's really about how I think. There's many stories you find in the Bible. One of my favorite ones is found in Luke chapter 21. Um, It's kind of towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and so the heat has been turned up in his life. Uh, They're trying to really get rid of him. And so um, it says in verse 21, uh, chapter 20, verse, verse 1, it says, as Jesus looked up, and he's standing in the temple area, he says, as he looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. I've explained this before. I've talked about this before. The, the temple treasury, there was these trumpets, these trumpet-shaped um, brass things that came out of the side of a building, seven of them, and as the worshipers were going into the temple area, they would prepare their offerings, gold, silver, whatever they had, and as they would walk into the temple, they would drop their offerings in these trumpets. It was a big show. The wealthy would walk in, they'd pull out a bunch of coins and drop it in there, and it would make all this clanging noise, you know, going into these trumpets. People would watch it and listen, they're like, oh, good job, you're so generous, you're so awesome. Right? That's what he was. So he's sitting there and he's watching this. And I, I, have, a, I have a very vivid imagination of this kind of situation. You know, Jesus is like sitting around watching. He's probably telling his disciples, look, look at that guy. Right? See that guy right there? Watch, 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 watch all the noise that he's going to make when he drops his coins in that. Watch how he's going to stand and kind of look around like, hey, look at me. Look what I just did. You know? I could just have this imagination. That's what's happening here. But then it says, and as this passage continues, he saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Now the contrast here is this wealthy putting in their gold and their silver and this poor widow with two copper coins. The copper coins were literally flattened. They were almost paper-thin copper made flat, so flat and so thin that if you threw it up in the air and there was a wind, it would blow it away. That's how little it was. Okay. So you can imagine she walks in, she has her two little copper coins, she drops it in those, in those trumpets, does it make any noise? You couldn't hear a thing. There was no applause from the crowd. Look how wealth, look how great she is. But what I love is that Jesus noticed her. And this is what he says about her. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their, gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, from a math perspective, this doesn't make any sense at all. Because, you know, a million dollars worth of gold and five cents of coins, mathematically, one is definitely more than the other. 
So what Jesus is doing here, he's pointing to a principle, an idea that's beyond just what you have, what you possess, the things that you own. Yes, we have to talk about those because those things can possess us. But he's talking about how you think. And so this woman, she's hardly getting by. She puts in her two coins. We're not exactly sure what proportion of her life that was, 30%, 50%, 70% of her life. We don't know exactly, but here's what we do know. Today, what day is today? Is is today the 19th? Yep. The the 19th of November, 2023, 2,000 years after this moment, we're in this room not talking about the rich leaders who dropped all their coins in there, but we're in this room talking about a poor widow who had barely any money to give. And how this poor widow taught us what generosity is supposed to look like. Can't tell you the number of times I've been invited to a village in Bangladesh. I was often, I was kind of like the roving evangelist. You know, I would go to these different villages. You know, I was asked oftentimes to go preach in these different churches and different places in Bangladesh. And I'd get in my, in my van, I'd drive to a certain spot catch the ferry, get across the river, then leave my van at a compound, get on a bus to another spot, get off the bus, get on a rickshaw van that would take me into the, to where the boats would be, the, the, the canoes would be, get on a canoe and then paddle for a couple hours. I wouldn't paddle, somebody else would paddle. Paddle for a couple hours up to a village to come into a place that had no, no electricity, I mean, no running water. They had a pump, deep well, pump on the outside of the village, you know, mud kind of uh, shack or, or building, bamboo mud kind of building, the house that they live in. And I'd walk in, and these were people that were obviously, obviously poor, but I'd walk in, and they'd put a lay, uh, like a flowers around my neck, had me come sit down in their little floor on the mud. They'd serve me tea, hot tea. And I'll tell you something, there is really... I, I learned this. I learned that when it's hot outside, hot tea actually is not bad. You know, it's pretty good. But they served me some hot tea, and then they served me this very spicy fish curry. <laughs> I love curry. I just not fish curry. So if you want to give me curry someday, just not fish curry. <laughs> anyway. Um, and I sit there in that room, and I think, these guys, that's like that poor widow in the Bible. Because these people were sacrificing a huge part of their budget just to make me comfortable. It's a pastor friend I know, Wayne Austin. He actually was uh, the minister that performed our wedding, Christy and I's wedding, 36 years ago. And I remember when I first met Wayne, I was a Bible school student on my way to Bible college. I lived in Dallas, Fort Worth area, and I was going to Baton Rouge. And I, I was given his name as a contact person because I was needing to get there a day early to then the next day check into the dorms. So I pulled into his driveway. You know, I, I sold everything I had. I didn't have a whole lot, but I got rid, of every, got rid of any debt I had. Just sold everything I had. And I ended up with a 69 Chevy Impala. That was everything I owned. I actually had a title for it, you know. And I drove to, to Bible College, pulled into his driveway, and then... When he came out, he saw where I was parked. He said, hey, we got to move the car. My, you know, other cars need to park. And so we tried to start the car, and it wouldn't start. And learned that the fuel pump had gone out while I had driven the whole way, and it went out in his driveway. 
So, you know, he looked at it, he said, oh yeah, the fuel pump needs to be replaced. Hey, we'll take care of that later, don't worry about it. Just, let's go get freshened up, go have a meal. So I went in the house, you know, sat down, had a meal, had his wife, great cook. She cooked us a great meal, hang, hung out with his daughters. So it was, a, it was a good meeting. And then, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half later, Wayne comes into the room and he's like cleaning his hands. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? He says, well, your pump's, your car's running now. While I was eating, he ran to the store, bought the fuel pump, installed it. It was usually, back then it was a lot easier to do a fuel pump. Installs a fuel pump, fix my car. Very quickly, I learned with Wayne that I couldn't just say anything. I had to be careful what I said to him. You know, like that day I showed up and he was talking to me about the rules in Bible school. And he told me, listen, every day from eight in the morning till five in the afternoon, all the students have to wear slacks, shirt, and a tie. And I, you know, I came, I showed up with like one dress shirt, one tie, and one pair of slacks, and the rest were just blue jeans and shorts and stuff, you know. And I'm like, I don't have all that. He says, don't worry about it. So the next day he shows up. And he's got five pairs, five slacks, five shirts, and five ties for me to wear every day, every day of the week. The only problem was that he was a high school basketball coach and he, in the 70s. <laughs> and so his, uh, his sense of style was different than mine. But, but anyways, that's, that's what he did, you know. He... So one time I asked him, I was like, Wayne, why do you do this? Like, why... Why is it that you, like, you're, you're just so eager to go meet somebody else's need? And he's in his raw Cajun accent. He said, boy, giving is fun. And I was just like, okay. And it made me think, what if, what if we saw giving not as an obligation? What if we saw giving not as a law? What if we saw giving not even as a biblical mandate, but what if we saw giving as fun? It would change how you live. See, I think our problem with giving is that we have improper thinking. We think we own it. We think it's ours. We've convinced ourselves that it's ours. And if it's ours, then we've convinced ourselves further that when it comes to the material things of this world, I really can't fully trust God. I have to take care of it myself. And that's improper thinking. Because the truth is that we are, we don't possess it. We're just simply stewards or managers of what God has given us. And he's given us financial resources, but he's given us more than that. He's given us talents and abilities and, and, and all kinds of things. He's given us, and we are to manage and steward that well for his kingdom. And when we do that, there is this unlimited source from God because it's his. <clears throat> Last thing about generosity is this, it's the opposite of my nature. It's, generosity can be so counterintuitive. There's this uh, passage in Matthew chapter 10. Theologians call, there's a few statements in the Gospels that theologians have explored. And they said, these statements are, we, we label these as the hard sayings of Jesus, the hard sayings of Jesus. Like they are statements that demand, you know, change. Like they, they hit you in the face. Like this 
is exactly what you need to do. And, and it's so counter how we live our lives. And this is one of them, Matthew chapter 10. You've, you've heard it. If you don't take up your cross you can, and follow me, you can't be one of my disciples. It, that's the translation. But here's, here it is in the message version. It says, if you do not go all the way with me through thick and thin, you don't deserve me. That's the heart statement. Even if, you're, if, if your first concern is to look after yourself, if your first concern is to look after yourself, and right here, you can insert yourself. You can say, if your first concern is to selfish, to be selfish, selfie. And, and look, just so you're like, Rich, why are you calling me selfish? We all are. We all are at some level or another, right? And so if my first concern is, I'm just going to take care of me. I'm number one here. I am always going to be number one. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to make sure that my needs are met first and, you know, then, then, then my family's needs are met and then, then the, you know, people I really like, those people, and then oh, those people I don't like, forget them. People I don't know, forget them. If, if that's my concern, if your first concern is to look after yourself, listen to what Jesus says, you'll never find yourself. And it's, it's paradoxical because that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to find this place of happiness and satisfaction, and we think we could do it selfishly, and yet we never get to the happiness and satisfaction. And Jesus goes on. He said, but if you forget about yourself and look to me, like if you become generous, we can insert generous there, he says, you'll find yourself, both yourself and me. This is the hard saying of Jesus, also the paradox of it's so counterintuitive to how we often live our lives. And yet, this is exactly the difference between religion and faith. This is what followers of Jesus look like, and it's a mystery. You see, our natural bent is selfishness. In fact, I really believe this. I believe <clears throat> that the the ultimate journey of a follower of Christ, there's a lot of factors, a lot of discipleship, a lot of things that go on in our life, but the ultimate journey of a follower of Christ is learning to move away from selfishness and move towards generosity. That's the ultimate journey of a follower of Christ. And it impacts every area of our lives. Yeah, just it does impact our pocketbook or our wallet. It impacts every area of our life. For example, generosity in our relationships. This summer we talked about generosity in our marriage. And we said the question, the prevailing question is, how can I love you more and more the way you need to be loved? That was a question that we should be asking, not how can I get more and more behavior out of you that I want? Which is often the transactional nature of marriage, right? But if we flip it around and we start becoming generous, instead of selfish, becoming generous and giving ourselves away, it's amazing what happens. Marriages are restored Marriages stick together. Relationships become whole because of generosity. I mean, generous people are the most attractive, magnetic people you ever want to be around. There's something about that, right? In fact, generosity is an invitation to be like Jesus. Jesus was extremely generous. A, ch a challenge I'll put out to you just to read. Go through the Gospels. Take a month to go through the Gospels and, and make it a point to write down, as you're reading, make it a point to write down every act or every statement that Jesus makes around the idea of generosity. Write it down and meditate on it for a few minutes. First of all, you're going to write quite a few. 
But the second thing is it's going to begin to transform how you think. See, Jesus, Jesus was incredibly generous. When people were sick, what did he do? He didn't say, I don't have time for you. He stopped and healed them. When they were hungry, he's like, why don't you go get a, he didn't say, go get a job, feed yourself. <laughs> he fed them. When they were anxious and, you know, distraught, he offered them peace. When they were weighted down with guilt and shame, he said, you know what, there's freedom to be found. I mean, Jesus says to you and me, give me your crummy past and I'll give you a bright future. That's generosity. That's generosity. Jesus was incredibly generous. And I believe that the Jesus in you is generous as well. Just need to let him out. Amen? Now, before you decide, okay, Rich, fine, you convinced me. I'll write that big check. You still can write the big check, by the way, but that's not the point that I'm getting at today. The point I'm making today is that it's not about a one-time kind of donation that makes you feel better. It's about a lifestyle. It's about how you live, how your life intersects with God and how that intersection is causing me to become more and more generous. Yes, with our money, but also learning to how, how to be generous with our time, our energy, our attention, all of those things. So how do we respond when you hear a message about generosity? Well, I love that, not yesterday, but last Saturday, the Saturday before, um, we had a men's breakfast. We do this every month, by the way, men, so you're welcome to a men's breakfast on the second Saturday of the month, not in December. Other things are happening in December. Um, <clears throat> but, but last Saturday at men's breakfast, a group of guys, we all got together. We had biscuits and gravy, a great breakfast. It was awesome. A lot of sausage and bacon and all that, so if you like those things, you should be at men's breakfast. Um, but a group of us decided we're going to then go there, do our breakfast, and then leave there and together go help build furniture for houses into homes. And we spent two hours doing that. It was fast. It wasn't hard. I was, uh, Kevin was my, my partner here. We, he was doing so much better than I was. I, I cut myself. I broke stuff, but he, he didn't. <laughs> But we took two hours of our life and gave it away. That's what we do. Right now as we're talking, there are a whole army of adults and some teens and stuff that are on the other side of this wall that are serving the kids of this church. They are, they've made a willing decision to give up of their time and their energy to serve. And God is using them. And I don't say that. Can I say something? There's a little convictions. I, I, don't, I don't endorse a whole lot of things and say, God is using, God is using, God is using very frequently. I have to really believe that. But I believe this. God is using them right now to help bring, G, bring kids in life church to Jesus. God is using them. And this list can go, I can go on and on with people that are serving in so many different capacities. And here's the deal. I just want to say to you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for reflecting the image of God and being generous. Last week I received um, an email from a friend and got some images. There's a, a, one of our missions partners is Priority One. 
And Priority One basically builds Bible schools all around the world, particularly in needy areas, areas that, you know, they underfunded, they cannot really resource themselves, you know, and have, you know, infrastructure like this. And so um, back in January, I was in a meeting with them, and they were explaining how in Burkina Faso, the country of Burkina Faso, West Africa, um, just an, an incredible revival is breaking out. This, by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, people are getting saved. And when that happens, it, what, almost instantly what happens after that is people say, Call, Lord, I'll go, I'll preach the gospel. So there's hundreds and thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that are responding to the call of the God as well in their life. And so people are trying to go to Bible school, but the problem is the Bible schools are limited in space. And so I heard, I was sitting in this meeting and I heard that, um, that some people had applied to this one particular Bible college. They had 5,000 applications were submitted, but they only had room for 1,000. So they had to turn 4,000 away of people that felt called into ministry. So I'm sitting in that meeting and I just said, we, we've got to do something about this. And so at that meeting, we decided that Kingdom Builder is going to help. And so we said we would build you know, enough for 10 families, which would be, basically is two dorms. This is a dorm right here, five, five, room, five uh, rooms. And, um, and so that's, that amounts to basically $48,000 that we committed from Kingdom Builders to help build these dorms. And so this week, they sent me the pictures. You could go to the next picture. Here, here's a dorm where they're sitting in there and they're actually utilizing the dorm. And then let's go to this next one. And this is one of the, and this is just one of the random, I just picked out, he sent me a lot of pictures of, of different people that are at, in, the, in these dorms, but there's a young man who's been called into ministry, this is his family, and uh, in Burkina Faso, when you feel called into ministry, you have a family, you don't leave your family back in the village, you actually take your whole family, and they all live in this, in this dormitory. And so here's what I want to share with you as we conclude. <clears throat> the ripple effect of generosity Sometimes I think it's easy for us to think, you know, a couple things happen in our mind when we're talking about giving, particularly money giving, is, well, I don't have a whole lot. I know they have a lot. They'll, they'll give. And I excuse myself because that, that person's going to give. Other th- ways that we convince ourselves not to give is we say, I don't have enough. And, I mean, what's my little that I have going to do with this $48,000 project, Right? And so we convince ourselves not to, because it's, it's too little. <clears throat> Here's the ripple effect. Whether you gave, whether you gave $100 last year to Kingdom Builders, or whether you gave $100,000 last year to Kingdom Builders, the ripple effect is this. This man right here is going to graduate from Bible college. And then, and then he's going to feel a call to go somewhere, and, they're gonna, and his church, his leaders are going to send him to a village or a town to plant a church. And he's going to go and he's going to plant a church. And this is Burkina Faso, so in this Islamic context, there's a lot of hostility, a lot of difficulty. But through, through, the, through a lot of hostility, through a lot of difficulty, he is going to begin to reach people for Christ. People in his church, kind of like what we do here, are going to raise their hand and say, yeah, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And those people are going to come up to an altar and they're going to pray and they're going to give their life to Jesus. And this is going to happen over the course of years. Probably many of us might be gone by then. But one day we're going to be all in heaven. <clears throat> and there's going to be a man from Burkina Faso who's going to walk up. Maybe this man right here. He's going to walk up to one of you and he's going to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for reflecting the heart of God and being generous. I wouldn't have been able to go if you hadn't given.
that is the heart of God. And so come on, church. Let's not be stingy. Let's not hold back. Let's be generous and let's change the world. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. We'll have prayer teams here on left and right. And I'm going to encourage you if you're here, um, whatever it is that you might be carrying right now, so I encourage you, don't leave this place without God speaking to you and challenging you and for them to agree with you in prayer. They love to do that. That's why they're here. Amen. <clears throat> I also want to challenge you. We're going to pray a prayer. And you might be saying, well, how do I start this, Rich? What do I do? Okay, I, I agree. I need to be generous. I need to be more generous. How does that start? You start by just one little simple act. You can just go home. Instead of being your grouchy self on a Sunday afternoon, be kind to your spouse. Instead of, you know, talking a certain way to your kids, normally make a decision to do something different. That's generosity. Resolve to go to work tomorrow with a better attitude reflect something different to your the people you that you that you work with maybe it is monetary maybe it is that you have not started tithing and, and you've been you've had some resistance in your mind about it some challenges about it you really you don't want to but ultimately it's really you just don't want to let go of it and I get that I've been there and maybe it's just start just do something you can never outgive God that's a promise amen so I want to pray for us. I just, I just 100% believe that the more generous we are as a church, the more we will change the world around us. We'll change this community. We'll change this, this city, this, this, this county, this state. Because we're reflecting the heart of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in this place. And today, Lord especially as we just think about this seventh value and generosity, we, we, we reason with the fact that you are generous and that you've made us in your image. And Lord, we're maybe not perfect rep representations of that image in our lives, but we ask you, Lord, to help us reflect your image to this world through generosity. Speak to us, Lord. Challenge us. Do not let us leave this place without making a commitment to be more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name.